Where you go. Today we're talking about the Chalice of Abbot Suget. Before we start, take a second to pull up the piece. You can find it on the National Gallery of Arts website or on Art History Perspectives under the post for the eighth episode. Also, any other paintings or objects that I reference in this podcast be in that post on Art History Perspectives website for the eighth episode. Take a deep breath and reflect on the object that you see here. What stands out to you? Do any details catch your eye? What questions do you have? Hold on to those and let's dive on in. As you can already see, what we're talking about today is a bit of a departure from what we've talked about before on this podcast because it is a chalice. From the collection of Abbot Suget, who was the abbot of the Basilica of Saint-Denis in France. And a chalice is very different from a painting, but let's try our best to switch gears today and talk about something a little bit different. The story of this chalice and the Basilica of Saint-Denis are intertwined because they're both products of the efforts of Abbot Suget. Basilica of Saint-Denis is an important location in France because it is the church of the patron saint of France. Saint-Denis, or Saint Denis, was a martyr in the 3rd century who was decapitated and rumored to have walked his head all the way from his scene of decapitation all the way to the current location of the Basilica of Saint-Denis. Because Saint-Denis is the patron saint of France, the site of the Basilica of Saint-Denis became a significant landmark for the French people, and for the Carovingian kings, it was the site of their coronation, specifically the coronations of Louis VI and VII, among other French kings. The Basilica of Saint-Denis is also an important pilgrimage location for the French people, as would be expected for such a interesting patron saint. In 1135, Abbot Suget, who had been entrusted with the keeping and care of the Basilica of Saint-Denis, began his work to remake and improve the basilica. This effort began because of Suget's interest in the philosophical and theological ideas that centered around the connection between God and light. This philosophy is often attributed to Suedo Dionysus, who actually isn't one particular philosopher, but is a collection of possible philosophers. That was confusing when I heard it the first time too. Basically what that means is that the works of Suedo Dionysus cannot be attributed to one person, but are supposedly attributed to multiple people. Therefore, his name is Suedo Dionysus. Overall, his philosophy was that places that were filled with light and allowed light in were also places that were filled with God's presence and grace. Because of his devotion to this philosophical and theological idea, Suget became one of the first patrons of the Gothic architectural style, which is characterized by large stained glass windows that allow in large amounts of light, aligning with the philosophy of Suedo-Dionysus. Gothic architecture is also characterized by flying buttresses, pointed arches, clustered columns, rib arches, and sometimes towers with large large spires as well. Overall, Suget's project to remodel the church outgrew his original intentions and expanded beyond architectural improvement to the collection of many different relics and artifacts that would improve the entire appearance and reputation of the Basilica of Saint-Denis. Abbot Suget was an oblate of the Abbey of Saint-Denis. This means that he was given to the Abbey at the age of 10 
to learn and work there. And I use the word given as a loose term since we don't know much about Sujay's family and where he came from. We assume that his parents or guardians left him at the Abbey of Saint-Denis so that he could grow up and be given an education. This education that Sujay was given is the education that founded his interest in Suedo-Dionysus' philosophy and his theological pursuits, both of which founded his support of the arts and architecture. He lived in the Abbey his whole life, and along the way encountered and befriended many important people, including a handful of kings, significant political figures, and a pope or two. With these connections and his lifelong devotion to the Abbey, he climbed to the top and became the abbot of Saint-Denis. So, he was the head religious figure in charge of the care and upkeep of the Church of the Patron Saint of France, which is a very important job to have. Because of his connections and his job title, he was granted the freedom to change the most important church in France according to the philosophical and theological beliefs that he had. Sujet was also powerful enough, or at least had powerful friends, that he was able to curate a collection of relics and artifacts that would not normally be accessible to someone in his position. In fact, the cup that the chalice that we are looking at today was built around actually came from Egypt, and although it would have been brought to Europe many years before it became a chalice in Abbot Sujet's collection, it wouldn't have been easy to find and acquire for this collection. Many of the artifacts that Abbot Sujet collected were displaced objects from different cultures and faiths from around the world, and were then turned into objects, monumental church, that could become a collection of this the chalice that we're looking at today is a beautiful object from the large collection of Abbot Sujet. The original cup that we can see in the center of this chalice, surrounded by pieces of gilded silver, is made from sardonyx, which is a more colorful type of the onyx stone. This cup has a red, white, pinkish, orangish marbled effect that is commonly seen in the sardonyx stone. This type of stone is normally found in northern Africa, specifically Egypt, which is one of the few ways that we can trace this original cup back to Egypt and its Alexandrian artist. It was most likely created in the 1st or 2nd century, and although the artist is unknown, we know that they were very talented in their trade. The cup of this chalice is intricately and expertly carved which sets the standard for the amount of gems and gold that were further added to the chalice. The stem, base, and handles of this chalice are made from gilded silver and have a variety of stones, pearls, and glass inset within it. The silver was most likely gilded with gold leaf, which would have been less expensive than making the chalice out of pure gold, and although the stones and glass may resemble precious gems, they are just stones and glass of multiple colors. So most likely the most expensive piece of this chalice would have been either the cup of sardonyx or the pearls. If we look at the bottom of the stem of the chalice, there are four gilded plates that are inset. In the pictures that are provided online, we can only really see three but the two that we can see most clearly are a plate depicting grapes and a plate depicting Jesus Christ's face. The other two, if you have the chance to visit this chalice in person, 
are of a bundle of wheat and the face of the Virgin Mary, I believe. Since this chalice was used for the celebration of the Eucharist, these plates symbolize the sacrament of the Eucharist as well as depicting Jesus Christ restored. The only thing in this chalice that has remained intact throughout time is the cup in the center. This mix of old and new pieces of art and craft are symbolic in the sense that Suget was trying to create a perfect amalgamation of all the aspects of the church throughout time up to that point. Suget wanted to achieve this to show that the church is one and united, no matter where the church is or where the Eucharist is being celebrated. So, not only did Suget create a piece and a collection that unites many of the pre-existing factions of the Catholic Church, but he also creates a magnificent collection full of opulent pieces that adds to the artworks that belong to the church. This chalice is an important part of the National Gallery of Arts collection because, like many of the other pieces that we've talked about in this podcast, it's impressive to see these pieces that belong to larger European collections appear in the U.S. This may be one of the only pieces from Abbot Suger's collection that you may be able to see without going to the Basilica of Saint-Denis in France. And if you get the opportunity to see it, I would recommend going to visit it. Also, as a little side note, if you are going to visit it in the National Gallery of Art, it is not on the first floor with the rest of the paintings. You'll have to go down a floor to where all of the statues and other older art objects. Let's take one more look at this chalice. Take a deep breath and focus on it once more. Does anything stand out more to you now? What do you think about this chalice and how it connects to Abbot Suger's collection? Does anything about this chalice pique your interest? Before you go, let me share one more fun fact with you. So as I mentioned before, Abbot Suger was friendly with a handful of kings, and one of those kings was the French king Louis VII. The kings that were coronated in the Basilica of Saint-Denis often came back to visit for special occasions, and this chalice was actually used to celebrate a mass in 1144 in the Basilica of Saint-Denis while Louis VII and his queen, Eleanor of Aquitaine, were in attendance. So, not only does this chalice have historical significance when the collection of the Abbey of Saint-Denis is being considered, but it also has historical significance because it was used to give communion to a king. And that is it for Before You Go, Episode 8, The Chalice of Abbot Suget. I hope you enjoyed, and I can't wait to share Vincent Van Gogh's self-portrait with you next time.